Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is August 5th. I'm Dave Gasper, joined by Matt Carroll, as always, and we're the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. Our guest on this week's episode is Will Salmon, Brewers beat writer for The Athletic. And Will, it's been a, a pretty quiet week, man. I don't know how we're going to fill this episode with stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's uneventful, right? Uh, but no, man, it has been pretty, pretty busy. Seems like every day there's something something going on so a good week for us to touch base and talk yeah there's a the trade deadline this past week there it seems like every single day there's a new player going on the COVID IL which is not the most fun news to hear um but I mean when we last when we had last week's episode um it was kind of right leading up to the trade deadline we had the Eduardo Escobar trade uh that we we're able to talk about uh but since uh then deadline uh the Brewers made a couple more trades and really well this trade deadline it seemed crazier than normal I mean I know last year was just kind of a, an odd year when it comes to the trade deadline but those trades were coming in fast and furious on on Friday morning uh and early afternoon have you ever seen a deadline like that I think like sometimes we get caught up in like the here and now when it comes to that sort of thing. And like, mm-hmm. we're very eager to say like, Oh, this is the best ever or the worst ever. But in this instance, I really do feel like it was one of the more intense ones that you can really remember just from like the beginning to the end part of it. Because like there were some trades, like even like way back, I think it was like 2004, like when Nomar Garcia Parra got traded um, from the Red Sox mm-hmm. that year, like that was a huge trade to happen. Right. And like there, there had been trades like that. And there had been a couple of years where there had been like one or two, but just like the trade deadline, so the trade deadline was what July 30th. So the 29th and the 30th, though, they contained um, like several like blockbuster moves. And so like that in that in that instance, it's hard to kind of compare it to other ones because there was just a plethora of all all stars, um, former MVP, Cy Young Award winner. Um, I mean, future Hall of Famers involved. So yeah, it's, it was really extraordinary to kind of just observe, of course, because the Brewers were not necessarily involved, um, or at least the results didn't end up with any of those type of guys. But um, it was fun nonetheless to like watch and observe as it all went down. I think one of the perfect examples of how crazy this trade deadline was and feels great to us as Brewers fans is if we look right down the interstate and go to the Chicago Cubs. And we all knew coming up to this trade deadline that something was going to happen to have to happen to that core three. Um, And obviously them falling out of contention solidified that, but even still, when you come up to trade deadlines, a lot of times you get a lot of that talk and like some of it happens or none of it happens. And yet this year, all three of those guys, Bryant Rizzo and Baez all gone. Like it actually went down. And so you add that to just all the other craziness that happened during this trade deadline. And yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, as a baseball fan for a few decades, yeah, Dave, some of us are, have been alive that long. Um, I, I don't remember ever seeing a trade deadline like this one. Yeah, no, especially like with the way that you said it with like the Cubs situation, right? Because that's a, that's a great point, right? We uh, we often hear so much like leading up to the trade deadline about they're going to trade so-and-so and they're going to trade this guy, that guy, and usually it never really happens. Or maybe one of those guys gets dealt and they hold on to two of them or couldn't find a suitable partner or suitable trade like the, like the Rockies and Trevor Story, for instance. But an example of the Cubs, man, like 
I don't know. Like some part of me is like, feels like they should have held on to that group a little bit longer or did everything they possibly could to do that. Then the other part is like, I credit them for going the absolute teardown route and, and saying, okay, like, let's just get rid of everything and start completely fresh here. So, um, and obviously for the Brewers case, you know, you go in next week and that's a completely different team than the one that you were playing a couple of months back when you pretty much ended their season and started this uh, prematurely, I guess, for, for Chicago. Yeah, and that might tamper down the Cubs fans' excitements whenever they show up to, to American Family Field and the trash talking or even the number of fans that just show up um, knowing the way that, that those guys are going. And as you talked about with, you know, some of the rumors coming coming true and some of them not, uh, if you if you also look up north on I-94 at Minnesota with the Twins, there was rumors about Rios ended up trading him for a really good prospect package. But then it's like, oh, they might also move Buxton and Donaldson now. And that didn't end up coming true. But with the Cubs, um, yeah, those guys you know, in the NL, NL Central going away. Um, and there have been a lot of people that I've seen on Twitter that are like, oh, yeah, Chris Bryant to the Brewers. Like, you know, let's let's try and get Anthony Rizzo on the Brewers and, and all these guys. From what it seemed like, Will, the Brewers were interested in that. But the Cubs, as I expected, had no interest at all in dealing any of their franchise cornerstones to the Milwaukee Brewers, despite how well a fit might have been. Yeah, that's, that's precisely like what I had heard, right? And um, it wasn't necessarily surprising either, because like the way you put it, David, if you're the Cubs and you have other offers from other teams that are similar, perhaps better, maybe, we don't know. Um, but even at the very least being similar, it's like, why would you deal with, your divisional rival right like why not just ship them to new york or boston or wherever wherever else um and avoid that situation um so i could kind of see it from their point of view of course but that was my understanding was that the brewers were interested in obtaining or acquiring a star like that because to me that's something that i always thought should have been under consideration for the brewers just because if you look at their team Sure, they don't necessarily like have a void or a huge um, question mark at a certain position like that, where like you say, okay, well, Chris Bryant should have been like the third baseman or the first baseman, even for that matter. Sure, you could definitely upgrade those positions, don't get me wrong, um, heading into the deadline. But my point is that you didn't have like somebody like, I don't know, Trevor Story that you can kind of like plug in that shortstop and that's your answer. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. But nonetheless, if you kind of compare the Brewers to, say, the Dodgers and um, the Padres and even like the team like the Mets, for, for instance, I think that's like who the Brewers should be comparing themselves to, not necessarily the Reds or the, or the Cardinals or, you know, the Cubs, of course, are out of it at this point, but certainly not them. Um, so I always thought that they should be comparing themselves to how they match up in October versus those clubs. And against those clubs, I feel like you're going to need the depth and you're going to need a little bit more star power. Um, and that's probably like lack of a better way to put it, but you definitely need the depth and you definitely need to be able to turn to different guys in certain situations. And so that's why I would add, that's why I did advocate for the Brewers to make that sort of move. Uh, by all, by all accounts, they were interested in doing that. It's just from my gathering, it was more of like an unfortunate sort of set of circumstances for the Brewers because the one team that was shipping away all these guys was the Cubs and they were not going to deal with you. And then the other part of that was I had written about this topic before, but I was somebody who thought that they, that they were 
it would be in their best interest to acquire another starting pitcher to, to have like a, a big four as opposed to a big three. Because again, do they really need that? No, probably not. I don't think they need that. They're, they're getting into the playoffs regardless, I would think. Um, but it's just about like how you match up versus these perennial like powerhouses um, that have been stacked up. Right. So like, that was my point. And to that, you know, somebody like Max Scherzer, for instance, preferred one of the coast teams, uh, one of the West coast teams. Um, and so that did not do any, do the Brewers any favors either. So it was kind of like an unfortunate set of circumstances um, for the Brewers not to be involved in what was a historic deadline um, in the way that other teams were. I thought it was funny that when Cerns did come out with those comments of our geographical location didn't necessarily help us that most Brewers fans immediate response was go to go to the classic, you know, little sister. Oh, no one wants to come play for us. Um, because we're up north and taking it as that sort of literal type of answer when it did end up referring more to the Cubs being the ones that we're, you know, we're trying to potentially swing some deals with, with Scherzer, not wanting to not only go to us, but like you said, not wanting to go to anyone who basically wasn't on the West coast, but it's, it's take, it's, that mentality still sticks around for Wisconsin fans, you know, not just Brewers fans, but, you know, Bucks fans obviously as well that, you know, we've had to shake this, you know, small markets, you know, cast aside mentality where now we're, you know, we're actual contenders and that's not necessarily the reason why these things are happening anymore. So it was just, it was just funny that that was the gut reaction until we got a little bit more explanation out of it. Yeah, sure. You know, I think like, um, just to catch people up, but David Stearns did say that like during his press conference after the, after the deadline passed that, you know, the geographical location didn't necessarily do them any favors. Um, but then after that, you know, I had to ask like, you know, a handful of other people, just what exactly does that mean? Because that could have meant, like you said, Matt, a bunch of different things, right. It could have meant um, the Cubs were not willing to trade with you, or it could have meant Scherzer didn't want to go to the Midwest or whatever else. Right. Um, so to my knowledge, based on what people had told me, um, it was a combination of both those things, actually, which I, which I found really interesting. And you can kind of play the what if game and hopefully for Brewers fans, you don't really have to uh, at the end of the season. Right. Uh, but it, it would be a fun game to play nonetheless. Um, but I do think that they made out pretty well at the trade deadline, um, despite the results of the past couple of days with the relief pitchers. I, I do think that they, they did pretty well in upgrading their roster. Yeah. And that's, that provides a nice segue to uh, the next uh, topic that we kind of want to talk about here and, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to those guys, it's, you know, David Stearns is in on everybody. You know, that, that's kind of been his M.O. since he's arrived. You know, he'll call on everyone. He leaves no stone unturned when it comes to Scherzer, when it comes to Brian Trizzo, all those guys. He'll at least give a call, give a phone call, see what happens. Um, but they did end up making two trades, a bit more on the minor side. I mean, they certainly weren't making much for headlines. Um, but the first deal that Stearns made on the deadline day, Daniel Norris from the Tigers in exchange for Reese Olsen, who was actually opening some eyes uh, as a pitching prospect in high A Wisconsin this year, uh, has a pretty strong arsenal. Uh, he ends up going to the Tigers now in exchange for Norris, who's a rental reliever, left-hander, hasn't really had much success at the big league level, but he was a huge prospect when he was first coming up in 2014. Something that the Brewers see in him uh, as, a, as a talented pitcher that if they just maybe make a couple of tweaks, uh, they can get something pretty productive out of. What, what, what did you think of the Norris deal when you saw that go down? It made sense to me just because they needed 
a left-handed pitcher in that bullpen that they could rely on aside from Suter and Josh Hader, of course. And they didn't really have that. I mean, like they tried Holby Milner, didn't quite work out. They've tried Perdomo a couple of times, hasn't really stuck uh, because of his control issues. Um, so they, I, I did feel like that they, it was in their best interest to go out and acquire some left-handed help. Um, so like, I like the idea that they did that. And with Norris, you kind of buy low. I mean, he's a relatively inexpensive, he's an inexpensive option there. Um, not taking on a whole lot of salary for a relief pitcher. His um, numbers after the all-star break, sure, it was a small sample, but uh, they were really sharp. Um, he has dominated left-handers, left-handed bats all season. So all that added up for me. You mentioned his pedigree before, um, so I like that. I, I like the idea that you know his fastball looks a lot more crisp. His changeup has really come along well, uh, which is a pitch he's been working on the past year or so. Um, I didn't. I wasn't in love with like parting with Olsen for him. Um, not that like I'm somebody who like really like likes to hold on to prospects or anything like that. But you know, I just thought that like maybe trading a prospect of his his potential um was a little bit costly for me uh, and again like Olsen this is a guy who hasn't even reached double A yet so it, it's hard to really go be feel too strongly about it his ETA for the majors is probably what 2023 20, something like so it's, yeah. it's really hard to kind of like you know feel too too strongly one way or the other on him um I have had a, a few people tell me that they they really did like him or, or, or were liking him a lot when they had him in the on, in the organization so that caught my attention. That forced me to dig into him a little bit more. And I found myself liking him. Um, but it's one of those deals where, you know, you have to part with something to get something. Um, and with Norris, uh, you know, I, I think that you have to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to acquiring relief pitchers. Um, they have a track record here of, of getting it right when it comes to acquiring pitchers and tweaking them, like you said, or finding that one little bit that makes them that much better. And I think they could do that with Norris. Um, I think maybe his future is actually as a starting pitcher again. Um, not necessarily with the Brewers, but I do feel like that, that, that that's something that he could do in the future. Um, but again, he kind of reminded me of like the Drew Pomeranz deal a couple of years back where it was like, if you look at his traditional numbers like ERA, you're scratching your head and being like, why the hell did they do this? Like, how does this make sense for a team with October aspirations or – or you know plausibility there um but then you look a little bit deeper and you look at some of his underlying statistics and it all points to some really good stuff so he's somebody that i you know i wouldn't necessarily grade the trade in a um but it was good i mean it was fine and and again i think it identified an issue in that bullpen where there were where they were a little bit short and they've been pretty short all year yeah and depending on how you view the the prospects in that deal they almost gave up more for norris than they did for eduardo escobar um, with with Cooper Hummel and uh, Alberto Ciprian. Yeah, man, that's that's kind of like what I was thinking about too. Same thing with Henry, for that matter, with trading mm -hmm. Peyton Henry for uh, for John Curtis, right? Like I felt yeah. like Olson was the best prospect that they dealt at the trade deadline, and they probably got him for uh, the least valuable player uh, out of the three <laughs> that they acquired, just based on not necessarily talent, but just I mean, Eduardo Escobar is clearly head and shoulders the best, but I mean, you're going to use Curtis. Uh, just because uh, he's a right-hander, you're probably going to use him a lot more than you're going to use Norris. Um, but it was just kind of funny to me that that was like the one prospect that I was like, wow, they traded him. Um, but again, like I said, he's somebody that's in single A um, still uh, yet to pitch in the higher level. So, you know, we don't really have that clear of a picture, but somebody that I'm eager to keep an eye on now that he's with the Tigers. 
Yeah, I like that uh, comparison to Pomeranz because that was, you know, there were some shaking heads at um, what his, like you said, flat ERA numbers looked like before he got to us. And then he was arguably our best pitcher down the stretch. He was, you know, as lights out as anyone. Um, for the Brewers with Norris, you had that, um, you know, close to six ERA, um, but the fielding independent pitching number of 3.79 that definitely insists that, um, you know, there was some bad luck that played into it, possibly some fielding defense, whatever that played into it. So possibly something there. Um, and we know that the Brewers love uh, pitchers who have a changeup that can be deployed dangerously. And that's been his most effective pitch so far this year, throws it less than his fastball, but uh, hitters are batting just a little bit over 220 or hitting 220, a little over 200, I was trying to say, um, against that pitch. So if he can maybe switch up that pitch, pitch mix a little bit, um, you know, yeah, possibly they have something there. Um, I'm also going to take my time to pat myself on the back a little bit because about 30 minutes before that trade went down, I'd thrown out there as we were trying to figure out what relievers the Brewers were going to bring in. I said, you know what? Norris actually looks like one of those sneaky guys that Stearns would try to bring in over all of these guys. And then about 30 minutes later, Daniel hmm. Norris was a Brewer. So um, I, I've lost a lot of them, but, you know, guess that one, right? I guess we're, we're one for 30. You guys. That's right. <laughs> Kudos to you guys. I, I didn't even bother to, to really map out like who would be their relievers of choice because it's like with them, it's like so hard to pinpoint. I feel like with the, with the relief pitching, right? Because it's like, you look at maybe, for instance, the guys in the Orioles who actually didn't get dealt. Um, those mm-hmm. to me look like great fits. Like those guys from like club control perspective, what they were doing at the major league level already, um, their talent level, those all seem like great fits. But again, it's like, what are you, what, what's the cost of them? It's probably a lot higher maybe than a Reese Olsen or um, a Peyton Henry. So they, they did right and they did well in acquiring the help that I think that they need because I don't think they necessarily needed somebody um, that you would have had to, you know, ship a whole bunch of prospects for or two um, of your better prospects for, because you already had a pretty, pretty potent back end anyway. Um, So it was like Craig Kimball, for instance, even if he was attainable for the Brewers, how many innings is he going to log for you? Um, Even counting October. I mean, we're talking about what, maybe 15 or 20 innings, maybe. Um, and so, like, is that the cost of, like, a top prospect? I'm not sure. I'm not really convinced. Um, could be. Could be, right? But with their starting pitching staff and with the way their bullpen is already positioned, um, I would argue that what they did and going out and acquiring a, a righty and lefty for the middle relief help um, was probably the best thing that they, that they could have done at that time. Yeah, and especially with with a guy like Kimbrell, it's like, are, are you going to put Kimbrell in the closer spot? Like, what do you do with Josh Hader, who's been lights out in that spot all year? Um, so, yeah, I think we had our eyes on a whole bunch of different guys, and we were talking, I think, like, Yimi Garcia, I think Matt had, like, Daniel Hudson, uh, Ian Kennedy, um, all kind of like those guys that, like, everyone's talking about. And of course, the Brewers are going to go get guys that no one is talking about because that's just how David Stearns rolls. He likes to toy with us. He never does what everyone expects him to do, except Escobar. Escobar was the one where everyone's just like, yeah, like this is a really good fit. It, you know, it's the mainstream idea. And he actually went with it. And, and so far, uh, things seem to be turning out well for the Eduardo Escobar uh, edition. Uh, I want to talk a little bit now about the John Curtis trade uh, with, with Peyton Henry. 
uh, going to the Marlins. I mean, Curtis had a really good year with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays last year. Uh, then he's having another really solid season here with Miami. And, you know, he has, he has what, four, four and a half years of control, essentially. Uh, so that's something that certainly is, is going to cost a little bit more. And it costs a, a top 30 prospect in Peyton Henry, who he's the lesser of the, of the two big ca- catching prospects. Mario Feliciano, Matt's favorite, uh, is obviously the, the top catcher there in the system that, that's looking like the catcher of the future. Um, and, you know, he's now back from a, a shoulder impingement that he'd been dealing with since May. Uh, so Henry, he's, he was doing well up in AAA filling in, uh, but it was, it was really kind of clear that there wasn't going to be much of a future for him on the 40-man roster for the Brewers. He was already Rule 5 eligible last year, likely wasn't going to be protected again this year. Uh, so instead of losing him for nothing, they trade him to get four years of control over what looks to be a pretty solid reliever. Yeah. And you mentioned like David Stearns and his group, like operating and identifying guys that maybe weren't on other people's list. For me, I don't know why John Curtis was available. Um, mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have thought of him as somebody that was available um, to his credit. Um, you know, Sarah's for the athletic actually put Curtis as like, one of the available arms on his like stuff plus list. And Curtis was like number five or six. Um, but even for, like, I know that the Marlins had, have no, um, they're not going anywhere this year. Right. But still, mm-hmm. man, like John, not, not, and I'm not trying to say like you build around John Curtis or anything like that, but like, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a pretty solid reliever though. Like yeah. with team control. Um, then again, it goes to that point that I made earlier. Like you got to part with something to get something sort of thing. Um, but it's a good deal for the Brewers. I thought, because, like you said, David, like Peyton Henry, I don't think he necessarily had a great future here with the Brewers. He was left unprotected last winter. Um, probably going to do the same thing again. Um, he was not, even if Omar Nervaez or Manny had an injury, like the next guy up was going to be Luke Maley, um, mm-hmm. as far as like their options at catcher. So, and then even after that, they have Christian Kelly in AAA too, um, so who has major league experience. So I just didn't see like a path for Peyton Henry either this year or next year. And with Omar Narvaez really having a tremendous back, back, bounce back season and looking like somebody who could be the catcher here for a couple of more years, really by the time he's done or by the time you are done with him, I mean, Jefferson, Jefferson Cuero is probably the guy that comes mm-hmm. to mind for me who is like 18 years old right now. But if you look at it, maybe three, four years from from this point, he projects as somebody that could possibly be um, a major league starting catcher. Whereas Peyton Henry, um, I had a couple of people um, in, pro, in pro scouts who have told me like, he, there are some people who do view him as a potentially a starting catcher on a team that maybe values defense. Um, and with the bat, he could give you a tough at bat. He has a little bit of power. Um, there's a question with whether or not he can consistently hit high velocity in the majors. Um, you could probably do worse than Peyton Henry. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I think he's, he's, he's solid, but he doesn't scream like major league starting catcher to me and to a bunch of other people who have scouted him. Um, so you're basically, if you're the Brewers, you're, you, you dealt from a strength at catcher within your organization and you parted with the guy who didn't have the easiest of paths to make a difference for your club anyway, and who mostly projects as a backup catcher um, based on conversations that I've had with scouts. So, to me, that was the one that where I was, I could really easily kind of give the Brewers an A for it, to be frank, mm-hmm. um, similar to the Escobar trade, because it's like, I don't, 
I don't see the harm in it. Um, sure, Curtis has not gotten off to the start that people would love for him to get off to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I push back on that a little bit and say, like, there, there was the error um, the other day. There was some soft contact. The Dansby Swanson Grand Slam was not soft contact. I understand that. But <laughs> uh, the other, like, there, there has been some, some tough luck mixed in there. And so I think that, you know, if we're having a conversation about his numbers maybe a couple of weeks from now and they're, so, and they're still not looking good, that's one thing. Uh, but for now, I'd give that one a little bit more time. Yeah. And, and especially, uh, by the way, I love that you mentioned Hefferson Cuero because I love that kid as a prospect. Like he's, he, he just seems to have it, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the bats, the defense, the, the intangibles, you know, like the, the clubhouse skills, like all that stuff, managing a pitching staff at such a young age, love that dude as a catching prospect. Um, and then also uh, with Miami, I mean, for Peyton Henry, from what I've heard, Jorge Alfaro is not going to be coming back uh, down there. They're, they're not really enamored with him. Uh, so there's going to be catching opportunities at the big league level for Peyton Henry. And since he's got that AAA experience now and he's going to need to be added to the 40 man roster, he could compete for a spot over there to, to get some playing time. Yeah, he deserves it. I mean, he has posted some solid numbers at AAA. He was doing fairly well for Nashville. I yeah. think his, his on base percentage was pretty high up there. I don't remember what it was offhand. Um, maybe you guys could check it out, but I think it was pretty, I think it was over like 350 or something pretty. pretty yeah, I, I think he was hitting 297 for his batting average. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was doing fairly well. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think that there's like questions, like I said, about whether or not he can consistently hit like that high velocity at the next level. You know, AAA is, that's where like AA and AAA kind of differ. Like AA, you find like the guys who throw like 95 to 100. Um, AAA is a little bit different. Um, you know, like a mixed, more of a mixed bag, I feel like sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but that was kind of like a big question that people asked me when I was asking around, just around the league about like how that trade was viewed. Um, that was kind of the feedback that I got was that they're, they think that the defense is there and it could stay and it could be very helpful. And if a team really does value that, they could see him starting, but he's more of a backup option. But man, he, he, you know, we say this a lot about guys and they tend to prove us wrong sometimes. So every time that I've seen Peyton Henry play, he's performed pretty well. Um, even in spring training, I think he got into like, maybe just a couple of games. Um, he was mostly like the catcher in the final innings, which is kind of a raw deal. Um, but I do recall him hitting a home run in one of the at-bats like late, late, in, late in spring training. And that was a cool moment for him. And so, um, you, know, hopefully, you know, I wish him the best of luck. I think he's a, he's a good dude and he deserves a shot. Yeah, and let's not forget with all the catching depth that the Brewers have too, we've got Xavier Warren who's sitting there real close to Cuero on the top 30, but is a few years older and could potentially advance up a little bit faster um, on base machine switch hitter. He's uh, hitting 381 as an on base percentage. So he's proving uh, that he's been able to do that in the minors at low a so far could get a bump to high a before the season's over. But that just speaks again to catching depth is something that the Brewers had focused on over the last few years. And now they have it. And that combined with David, you mentioning um, him being rule five eligible again, Henry, that is, um, it only made sense for this move, but yeah, again, like just surprising that a guy with four years of control, 28 years old only was available and a guy who had been as solid a reliever as he is, but we know that Stearns loves young controllable talent. So if he can pry one away from someone else, especially, uh, in the bullpen, something that's so important for a team that wants to compete, 
he's going to go do it. And kudos to him for pulling that one off. Yeah. I'd love to see Curtis have like a nice two months here, especially like in September, because then you profile the bullpen even for next season and you put him in a group that is going to contain, you know, Devin Williams. And we don't know Josh Hader's future. We could play that game later. I hope uh, like, like we always do, but um, even so, like it's going to contain a pretty, a pretty solid amount of like pretty solid level of talent. Um, but it makes you feel a lot better about that group though. Um, knowing that you have somebody like Curtis um, to go along with Williams um, because right now you're relying on guys who, who may not be with you, whether that's Brad Boxberger or, or whoever else. So like you add Curtis with like Jay Cousins and um, Devin Williams, and you have a really formidable um, group of a few really impressive right-handed pitchers. So it's, so it's good for the, for now and hopefully good for the future for them too. And then looking at another uh, right-handed pitcher that they brought in and then immediately lost John Axford mm. came back huh. this week and the absolute biggest shock that I think anyone has had this past week, John Axford hasn't pitched in a Brewers uniform since 2013. He was last in his, like he was in his prime as a closer a decade ago in 2011 when he had uh, well, 45, 46 saves that season. Um, it was, it was incredible. I, I decided to get tickets last minute to the game on Monday night just because like, oh, Axford's here. They're probably going to have him pitch. It's like, you know, I, I kind of want to see how this goes. And like, it's the ninth inning. Eduardo Escobar hit the, hit the home run uh, just a few rows up from where I was uh, sitting there. If, if you look at the video and if you look down in like the corner, there's me with like my arms up, just, you know, yeah. doing, doing whatever. Um, but yeah, so Axford comes in in a six, nothing lead and like they're playing his old intro, the ax man with, with the chop and everything. And everyone's just like, this, like, this is insane that he's all the way back. They acquired him for just a dollar and he comes in, throws 20 pitches and ends up getting hurt. And now his season is over a real whirlwind of a week for John Axford here in his return uh, to the Brewers. Yeah. The end, the ending sucked. Right. Um, but the yeah. story itself is pretty cool. Um, and it's, that shouldn't be lost in the whole, in the whole situation was just, it's just a remarkable situation. The guy's 38 and all of a sudden he's throwing 95, 96, 97 um, for team in Canada starts the year as the, one of the Blue Jays television analysts and decides that, you know, he's not quite done. He wants to pitch for Team Canada and starts, like, lighting up the radar gun. You know, I spoke to a couple of people who, who saw him pitch there and who were with him, and um, it wasn't bogus. Like, this guy was really throwing that hard, and he was really impressing people and got, got out. And, you know, still, even after I saw him um, pitch for the Blue Jays AAA, posting those numbers, I think he had, like, 10 innings one run, maybe like two or three hits allowed, something outrageous, a lot of mm -hmm. strikeouts. But even so, right, like I, I got the message early in the morning that day where they where they signed him and I had to do a couple of double takes, um, rub my eyes a couple of times because <laughs> I had just woken up, like, am I dreaming? Like what why are they doing this sort of thing? Is it a joke? Or or is it one of those deals where he's gonna retire as a brewer or something, something weird like that? Um, so I had to like double check and ask, like, okay, does this really mean that he's going to be on the active roster? Like does he is he going to be on this team sort of thing? Um, or is this just a commemorative deal? But, um, but yeah, obviously I was told like, no, this is for real. And then we saw it with our own eyes. Um, 
but still, like it, it's a sucky ending. Um, I think it really underscores like the, just the situation that they were in, though, too, with the need for right-handed pitching help at that moment, and even now, still mm-hmm. with uh, Jake Cousins, who I mentioned earlier, and Hunter Strickland, um, John Del Gustave as well on the COVID IL. So three right-handed pitchers um, in a bullpen that you know relies on a couple of those guys at the back end, um, and Devin Williams and Brad Boxberger. But you don't really have a whole bunch of guys that you could kind of go to in the middle innings. And now all of a sudden you take away three of them. <laughs> so you didn't really have any options for a little while, especially um, which was why we saw John Curtis pitch on back-to-back days over the weekend. And so they wind up on Monday with him. And yeah, it was shocking. Um, I did ask, ask David Stearns a couple of times, like, okay, David, but, but why? Why the guy who is a television <laughs> analyst, you know, like run that by me one more time. Like I did have to ask him three or four times, just kind of, and rephrasing the same question, I felt like just like, why are you doing this again? Um, but yeah, uh, it's just they did not have too many options there. Um, and it was a good story while it lasted. You feel for the guy because now he's not going to pitch the rest of the year, um, has a significant elbow injury. I'm not sure what that means for his career. I'm not sure if he's decided what it means for his career. Um, but at least he can go. And if it, if it is the end, at least he can go and tell himself that like he gave it that one shot, which is something I think like we all like, no matter what our career is, we all try to do right. We always try to say to ourselves, like we did the best we possibly could. And John Axford can say that about himself. And he has had a great career and he's had a, now we could say that he's had a career um, quite like nobody else. So, so there's at least that. Yeah. It was fun to see for a game, but, surely a heartbreaking end. Um, I, I, I've always been a big fan of Axford. David knows this. I've written about him for the site in the off season, every chance I get, I got several bobbleheads, including this beauty right here. That, yeah. that was the rare, rare striped version that they gave away that game. Um, and I actually uh, snuck into Miller park to watch his uh, record breaking save back in uh, 2011. I believe yeah. um, when he set the team uh, single season record. So, you know, it really sucked to see uh, it end like that, but yeah, like you said, like, you know, he was the fact that he even had the ability to give it, give it that one last shot. And, you know, if this ends up being, you know, bad enough elbow injury at 38, which, you know, is very yeah. likely um, if it ends his career, he officially ended his career as a Milwaukee brewer. And he is just the type of guy you know, who kind of comes up out of nowhere to ha- have, you know, these record-breaking seasons, just the kind of guy that Milwaukee Brewer fans love to rally around when he's here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, um, just just to see that and just to know that, that that's his ending too, perhaps, is the fact that he ended it with the Brewers. He got to experience that moment. As David can attest to, it was pretty, pretty surreal to see him come out of the bullpen, enter the mound like that. Um, so he got to have that moment, which, which of course is something that he'll, he'll remember the rest of his life. I'm sure. I mean, that's as special as it gets in baseball. I feel like. Yeah. Especially in the ninth inning, you know, it's like, it, it just seemed so fitting, bring him in in the ninth to close it out have his old intro playing his old entrance music. Um, it was just, there was so much hype, like within the crowd, like, you know, they knew he was getting loose when they, you know, when the inning ended uh, and Colton Wong like popped up or whatever it was like, y- you could, feel the excitement building within the crowd and like, you know, they showed him, you know, walking down the bullpen and the door opening up and just the huge cheer uh, for him coming back. And it was just, it was so much hype for it. 
Um, and yeah, it, it didn't end the way anyone wanted, but you know, he was able to come back to Brewers uniform one last time. And, you know, then he could, you know, perhaps he can retire as a brewer if he wants to do that. I mean, 38 year old, especially 38 year old arms with a lot of mileage throwing 98 probably isn't the best for the health of elbows. Um, and that probably was something that, uh, might've, might've been a, a red flag to begin with. It's like throwing 38, throwing 98 at age 38 with the type of mileage you have, um, that, that can't really be too sub- sustainable for long, I wouldn't think. And, uh, it ended up being less sustainable than, uh, everyone kind of hoped it would be. Yeah. Short lifespan with, uh, with that approach yeah. for sure. Um, I guess, but to their, um, you know, for the Brewers, they will get those three guys back relatively soon. Um, not soon enough, I suppose, for Milwaukee, but they're they're coming. Uh, Gustave, I guess, should be back at some point this weekend. This is all, of course, depending on how testing goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's at least on track to be back um, for the weekend. And then shortly after that, the 10 days are up for, uh, for Cousins and Strickland, who actually had to stay behind in Atlanta um, mm. for quarantine purposes. Um, so that's an interesting footnote. Um, and then the team, of course, as I'm sure you guys have covered, um, they added Sal Romano, uh, former red pitcher, who I'm sure Brewers fans are familiar with for logging a bunch of innings and probably lopsided games. Um, but, but yeah, they, they added him. So that's another option there. Um, so we'll see. I think that the number is like what 58 or something like that for total players to, uh, yeah. to appear for the Brewers and um, be fun to see where that number climbs. I think it has the potential to reach over 65 when you consider the September call-ups and the roster expanding a couple of spots and how they could move guys up and down a little bit in September. So who knows what that number is going to be. It's definitely going to be a record that will be hard to be broken in the future. Yeah, and one guy that I know Matt wants to get a spot up in there is Luke Barker. Where is that man? Matt, <laughs> Matt. I, I don't know. I, you know, he, he reminds me of like a little bit at this point of like when they called up Jay Jackson back in 2019. He came in, he had those really good looking uh, AAA numbers and they actually gave him a shot and he ended up uh, performing for the Brewers. Now Luke Barker, He's had good numbers ever since he joined the organization back in 2017. Very, very good ERA under two at both double A and triple A in 2019 in his last full season. Um, had a rough first few outings this year, and now everything's his uh, every ERA just keeps going down and down and down. And now he's back under three. Um, I, I believe from what I've seen, he doesn't throw, he's not like a high 90s guy, um, but he doesn't walk and he doesn't let guys get on base. Um, and he gets some strikeouts. So, for considering how many arms the Brewers have needed. Um, I'm a little surprised that he hasn't at least, you know, been given a thought of like, Hey, let's, you know, add him to the roster and see if maybe he can do something for us. I was surprised that they went to John Axford before they went to Luke Parker. I think that's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you, Matt, like you kind of questioned like the velocity a little bit and whether or not that could play in the majors, but he has the track record in the minor leagues. I mean, like he's never had like a, um, a bad run since he's been with the Brewers organization. Um, we're recording this on Thursday. So I can say that you know, Craig Council on Wednesday was asked about why not Luke Barker? Like that was a question that he was asked. And he did say that they have thought about it. Like he has entered the conversation. So okay. uh, Matt, you could at least uh, maybe perhaps rest <laughs> a little bit easier tonight knowing Close. that 
he's at least part of the conversation. I'm not sure exactly what that means, um, how close he was to being a yes, but at least we got that out of him um, on Wednesday was him being part of the conversation. We'll see. Um, we'll see if he gets beyond that, but based on their need for, for some right-handed help, I'd be frankly shocked if we don't see him at some point toward the end of the season. Yeah. It might take another positive COVID test among that bullpen to clear his spot, but hopefully it doesn't have to come to that. Um, But yeah, so free Luke Barker. We, we've been on that. Will, you weren't, you weren't here for the free Nate Orff movement, but that was one of the most (laughs) insane things where basically Brewers Twitter bullied the organization into calling up Nate Orff. And he was like a cult hero. He got like one hit. It was a home run. He went one for like 15 or something. Hmm. He was up for like two weeks. And like, that was, it. it's just like this dude's dominating AAA free, like call him up. And they finally did it like way long after they should have given him a shot. And Luke Barker, it seems to be is the next on that movement. Yeah, I would think, but I will say though, too, though, if you give me the choice of watching John Axford or Luke Barker for the Brewers, I probably go Axford. So like, I can't yeah. like knock him completely, even though it's like they went with the 38 year old who hasn't pitched in three years. If you give me much, if you give me the choice, I still probably go with one just for the entertainment value. I go with him, mm-hmm. but, uh, but Luke Barker at this point is not too far off my list uh, as far as who I want to see next. Yeah. Um, he's right up there. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, that'd be pretty cool for him. Um, he's an older guy who's certainly paid his dues to say the very least at that level and deserves a shot. Yeah. And I mean, even though David Stearns doesn't really enjoy talking to the media, he did go for the good story. So we, you got to give him credit there. Um, all right. So what, one more thing I kind of want to talk about here. Uh, I posted this on reviewing the brew today and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it because it's kind of sparked some debate on Twitter. Uh, I argued that the brewers should want to get the number two seed in the NL playoffs rather than the one seed. Because the one seed is going to face the winner of the wild card, which is likely going to be either the Dodgers or the Padres, which are, you know, two very strong teams. And then whoever's, whoever comes out of um, that, whoever's the NL West division champion, if that ends up being the Giants is likely going to beat up whoever wins the NL East. So then you have to face two teams from the West in order to get to the world series, which are two very strong teams. But if you're the number two seed, then you end up facing the Mets or the Phillies, whoever wins the East. And then you get whichever one team remains from the NL West. You let those guys beat up on each other, have, you know, emotional, physically drawn out series. And then you just kind of face what, whatever exhausted team is left over from that. Some people have said, you know, that's, that's a good idea. Some people have been against it. What are your thoughts on that, on that idea? Um, you might want to ask me on September 20th. Maybe I'll feel a lot stronger. Um, <laughs> like, right. He's like, I feel like the, the Dodgers can, and I still feel like they will win that division. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, they have enough time to do it. I don't think we've seen the Dodgers play their best baseball at all this year yet. And so if they were to able to get on like a 10 or 15 game run, which they're fully capable of, especially with their reinforcements that they acquired, um, certainly don't want to get in their way, especially early on. Um, and one team that like I, I would probably want to avoid is either the, uh, the Mets or the Braves. I feel like the Braves could be a very tough team if they get in the, if, if they get into the playoffs somehow. 
Um, they're not somebody that I want would be too like eager to face if I had my choice, just because again, I look at the idea of who is the hottest team. And if the Braves get in, that means that they would be, they would have been pretty hot and they probably would have had like a Freddie Freeman swinging well and everybody else performing. And, you know, they have some, you know, a guy like Charlie Morton who has had a lot of success in the postseason. So they kind of scare me in like a, in like a short series. And the Mets do too, uh, if, if DeGrom is healthy and if he's pitching is by then. So those are two teams that I, I'm not too eager to face. Um, I'm not sure if like I'm all that right. I mean, I haven't seen the Giants play a lot to, to know one way or the other about like just how strong or how real they are as a contender. I mean, every time I look, they keep winning games and they keep staying in first place. So there's that. But I'm excited to watch them this weekend and kind of get an up close view of of their lineup and just how real they are and, and how they win games. Because I think we can say that about the Brewers too, is if you look at their lineup, it doesn't really scare you, but those of us who watch them every day, just know how well, how good they are or how good they've become with putting together runs, with running the bases, with doing little things like that, that help them win games. So I'm eager to see like how the giants perform there. Um, so in a very roundabout way to answer your question, um, I'm probably of the teams that I'd be afraid to face, it's probably in order. It would probably be the Dodgers, um, and then like whoever comes out of the East. Uh, I, I'm kind of, I would be kind of scared of those teams, even though they don't have the records that the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres do. Yeah, I totally get the logic behind wanting the number two seed, but I also just expended a lot of nervous energy recently with watching the Bucks in the playoffs and going, all right, we just got to win one on the road and then we've got the home court advantage. And so to just have that nice, easy, don't have to think about home field uh, mm-hmm. with the number one seed feel. Um, it's, it's hard for me to want to give that up. So I don't know. It's I'm, I'm sitting 50, 50 right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're the number two seed, you're going to have home field and the NLDS and then when it right. comes to uh, the NLCS, I mean, there's no guarantee that, you know, whoever wins the one seed, which would, if it's not the Brewers, it's going to be whoever wins the NL West. There's no guarantee that they win their series. You know, wh- whoever's the wild card, if it's the Padres or uh, Giants or Dodgers even, I mean, they could very easily take down um, whoever was that top seed. I mean, you, you get them in a five-game series against a division rival. I mean, that's going to be tense it's going to be close and that's going to be something where you could very easily have the wildcard team winning. And it's, and if they do, the Brewers would then end up with home field advantage in the NLCS. So, you know, it's, it's not a guarantee that they wouldn't have home field advantage. And even then in, in 2018, the Brewers had home field advantage against the Dodgers and they still weren't able to, to pull out the series win. So it's not a guarantee either way that either they get it or, that they, even if they do get it, that it ends up helping them move on. So that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. The way that I see that the NL is like, there's like four teams that you, or four or five teams that are like legit contenders for the pennant. And then there's like the two or three teams that are on the cusp of possibly being a threat. Um, And then there's just a lot of bad teams. Um, But there's also not one like, surefire this is the team that's going to be in the nl uh in the world series representing the national league so i think from like one through five you can make a strong case for either of those teams winning dependent and and showing up in the world series brewers included 
Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a, a very interesting final two months uh, of the season and it, it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm really excited for it. Um, and there's going to be uh, a lot happening and it's going to be a great series this weekend against the giants. The Brewers have done well against the NLS this season. They've done well against the Dodgers. They've done well against the Padres. Um, of course, those teams, you know, they're, it's different facing them in April and May versus facing them in September and October. Uh, so they'll, they'll have changed a lot since then, especially the Dodgers. Um, and, and the Brewers will face them in the final uh, series of the regular season. So that's going to be interesting. Um, Will, I know you've got to uh, get going here. So we'll wrap it up. Thanks so much, man, for, for coming on, talking some deadline, talking uh, some Brewers with us, man. It was fun. Oh, yeah. You guys all do a great job, Matt, David, um, avid listener. So keep up the great work. And thanks again for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Anytime, man. Uh, So that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.